0: Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast. Headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhardt. This time last year, we were talking about wildfires, what seemed like nonstop. New Mexico saw what's now known as the largest wildfire in state history and recorded history, the Hermit's Peak-Calf Canyon Fire. It charred over 320,000 acres, including hundreds of homes, businesses, and other buildings in its path. The massive wildfire began as two different wildfires that eventually combined, but both had started by government-led operations, as we later learned. The Calf Canyon fire started after a burn pile holdover from January had reignited last April, while the Hermit's Peak fire started as a prescribed burn that got out of control.
1: Today's landscape across much of New Mexico is much wetter with rainier conditions than last year, making fuels less susceptible to wildfire. But the amount of loss from last year's wildfires is astronomical. And we heard from ranchers in that area that the land likely won't be the same again in our own lifetimes. And it's taken a lot of people in northern New Mexico, a lot of resources, hard work and time to recover.
0: Last June, President Joe Biden made a promise to the state saying, quote, we have a responsibility to help New Mexico recover and also saying that the government would be there helping for, quote, as long as it takes. So with that, we are now seeing a ramp up of the government's efforts to help people who lost a lot at the hands of these wildfires. Part of that is a newer office dealing with the claims in the fire response.
1: Joining us remotely today is the director of FEMA's Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon Claims Office, Angela Gladwell. Director Gladwell, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. It's great to be on and joining you today. So at
1: the top of your bio, I noticed on the FEMA website is a quote from you saying, we will be here until the job is done and every claimant receives the compensation they're due. What is the Hermits Peak Calf Canyon Claims Office and how unique is something like this?
2: Well, I'll start with your last question first, which is this office is very unique. FEMA has only conducted a a program one other time, and that was over 20 years ago with the Cerro Grande fire. And our claims office was established as a result of that commitment that you heard from President Biden last year. So um, after that, about six months following the fire, Congress enacted legislation, the Fire Assistance Act, which appropriated $3.95 billion dollars for the federal government to compensate those who have been impacted by the fire and the subsequent floods. So as a result of that new law and legislation, we have been building a brand new program that really is one of a kind. Um, Again, we've, we've only done this one other time over 20 years ago. Uh, The population impacted by this fire is very different than the population impacted by the Los Alamos fire um, at that time. And so this really gave us an opportunity to build and design a program that was tailored to the needs of those impacted specifically by this fire. And we are fully operational at this time. As of late March, we we started our claims operations We've opened three public-facing offices, one in Mora, one in Las Vegas, and one in Santa Fe, and we're starting to process those claims. Now, this office operates very similar to uh, like an insurance claim process, so it's very different than other FEMA assistance programs, which were really designed just to give a leg up towards assisting with recovery. This is really geared towards full compensation. So uh, those who have been impacted submit a notice of loss to really raise their hand and say, I've had a loss that I'm seeking compensation for, and then we can compensate them across a range of losses personal property losses, financial losses, and business losses. And so we work with them to to detail those and get the documentation and then issue them the compensation once we come to the final amount.
0: And how long have these offices been open? I know you mentioned there's at least three of them that are physically out there right now. How long have they all been open now for?
2: So the Mora office opened in late March Uh, The Santa Fe office opened in April, as well as a temporary office at Luna Community College in Las Vegas. And we're very excited that on Wednesday of this week, our permanent uh, public facing office in Las Vegas will be opening to the public as well.
0: You and the staff at the office have already started receiving those notices of loss. We understand that there's been at least over 800 claims is what it sounds like here at this point. But I'm wondering if you could give me maybe the latest breakdown by the numbers. How many claims have been submitted? How many are sort of in progress right now?
2: We have, uh, as of this past Friday, we've received over 945 notices of loss. That represents over 1,500 claimants. And what we're doing now is we're working through those claims. So we have locally hired navigators that are in place really to serve as a customer service agent from the very beginning of the process all the way through the end. We heard loud and clear as we went through our public comment period back in the late fall and uh, through mid-January that navigating the federal programs has been extremely challenging, especially coming off of this disaster and all the events that have transpired. And so, We really wanted to put local people in place that knew their communities. Many of them have been impacted by the fire themselves. And so the navigators have been then working with the claimants to make sure that they really understand the scope of their losses and to listen and understand their stories and and what they've been through. And then working with them to identify, are they interested in flood insurance? Because we can pay for flood insurance premiums. Are they interested and eligible for a partial payment which can address their more urgent um, and straightforward needs? And we're starting to work through and process those um, simpler types of claims while we're dealing with the more complex issues uh, that folks are facing as well.
1: And I'm thinking about what you're thinking and that is our responsibility. It's not a gift, we have a responsibility to help the state recover to help the families who have been uh, here for centuries and the beautiful northern new mexico villages uh, who can't go home and whose livelihoods have been fundamentally changed governor let me be clear we will be here for you in response and recovery for as long as it takes as long as it- since President Biden vowed that there would be federal help for New Mexico recovery efforts, the federal government earmarked $3.95 billion, with a B, compensation and operations tied to the Hermit's Peak-Calf Canyon wildfire recovery. That's a lot of money. Can you explain to us where does this money come from exactly and, and how long it'll be there?
2: So the money was appropriated just for this purpose. So the money is there to specifically assist Mexicans recovering from this event. And it's going to be there until we process all of the claims. So the claim period is open. Anyone can submit a claim up until November 14th of 2024, and we expect that we're going to be here for a good bit of time after that as well, as we continue to process claims and uh, address needs and work through the full process for folks. So, again, we're going to be here as long as it takes to, um, to compensate those who have losses.
0: You know, the impacts of this kind of funding As you were touching on, you know, there's a variety of different things that can be used for, including, you know, rebuilding infrastructure, addressing needs on the property to even, as you had mentioned, insurance policies. Is that a sort of one or the other thing, or can it be used across essentially all of those uh, metrics? And maybe what are some of the other things that people could use this recovery funding for?
2: So I'm going to kind of first talk about who can apply for this program and then talk a little bit more about the what they can apply for, um, because I think both of those things were I heard in the question that, that you asked. So in terms of injured person under this new program, the term is pretty broad. It applies to most non-federal entities. So individuals, businesses, nonprofit organizations, tribes, local and state governments, all of those entities are considered injured persons. We are prioritizing individuals as part of this effort just because we know that they have very urgent needs, um, but we're continuing to process claims from other injured parties as well. In terms of what we can compensate for, we can compensate again for a very broad range of losses. Most, I'm going to talk about a few examples. I think the important thing that I want everyone listening to know is don't feel limited by this list. It's really important when folks submit their notice of loss to really think broadly about the types of losses that they have and uh, let us know that on their notice of loss. And then our navigators will work through that with them and certainly identify anything that is not appropriate under this legislation and can also then think about how they could link them up with other resources like disaster case managers who can meet those unmet needs that we're not able to provide for. But we can fund, again, a broad range of personal property losses, agricultural losses. We hear a lot about uh, livestock and feed for animals and hay, restoration of natural resources on the land that have been impacted, which we're very excited about our partnership with the Natural Resources Conservation Service that is helping us uh, address those needs, business losses, lost wages. Uh, Medical expenses that people have had, including mental health services, can be covered as part of this. And again, just broad financial losses. We're right now addressing things like debris removal or temporary housing needs that haven't been met by other programs um, and things like that as well that really are just kind of basic um, urgent needs that just haven't been met by any other program.
0: And those are, as I understand, some of the partial payments, I guess, that were discussed more recently. There have been partial payments that have gone out there, and I I wanted to maybe break down as well. Do you know at this point about how many people have maybe received partial payments and about how much money has gone out at this point?
2: We have started making payments, um, but we're very early on in the process. So I just want to talk a little bit about how the timeline works on this, just so that Folks have a general sense of, of what to expect. So once someone submits a notice of loss, then we, again, work through that with them and make sure that all their losses are, are documented and that the notice is complete. And then we, we formally acknowledge that in writing. That formal acknowledgement starts an official timeline. So once we have that acknowledgement, then a claimant has 150 days in order to develop their proof of loss, which is really the documentation that they need to substantiate their claim. And our team is there and willing to assist people in whatever way they need in order to develop that documentation In fact, we can, um, at no cost to the claimant, we can do appraisals or other types of assessments. Again, this is where our partnership with entities like Natural Resource Conservation Service comes in, where they can develop some of the, the conservation and restoration plans. And then once we receive that proof of loss, then we have an additional 30 days to come to um, an amount of payment for them. And then once they accept that, and then we issue the payment. And so that process right now is playing out across all of the, the claims that we have. And so partial payments, again, are kind of our first priority. And our intention is to get through the partial payments and then the the final determination of the overall claim in that time frame. So again, we're just getting started and we're um, we're kind of testing the process at this point, making sure everything works as it should and going through it so that we can rapidly then scale up and really have a consistent flow of payments consistent with those timelines as we move forward. As far as the
1: scope of need, we know this isn't the first organized effort that there has been to help people in northern New Mexico, Right. How many landowners does your office expect to work with through this claim office, and what kinds of things will help them qualify for assistance going forward?
2: I think we're still getting a handle on the overall scope and numbers of claims. We have some experts who will be joining us shortly to do some assessments overall to really help us validate what are the, the overall scope of the losses? How many total claims can we expect? We are expecting somewhere in the, the low tens of thousands in terms of claims at this juncture. And so that's, that's kind of what we're, we're expecting and working with at this juncture. So really um, in order to get started with this process, they need to be impacted by the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire or subsequent flooding or in, any other subsequent event that has been caused by the fire. So there are other fires that have occurred in the state, and this specifically applies to, to the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire. They have to be one of the uh, lists of injured persons, again, most non-federal entity. And then they have to be able to kind of articulate what their their losses are and have some sort of way for us to to validate that loss. And so certainly being able to collect receipts that they have um, in terms of expenses that they have or any kind of documentation is going to help us as we go through that process, but we also recognize that there will be challenges with that. There are certain circumstances where documentation was lost in the fire itself, or that people may, have, may not have deeds associated with their property due to the way that land has been um, passed from one generation to another. And so we recognize all of that, and we have been working towards Uh, developing alternative ways to be able to uh, validate that type of information, but certainly coming to the conversation with any documentation that they have is going to be a great start for that process. You gave us an idea
1: of the timeline in a general sense, but it sounds like the process at maximum can take around 180 days after a claim has been received. Is that
2: accurate? 180 days to get to the determination of payment. They have additional time in order to accept that payment or decide if they want to appeal or or withdraw from the process and go another route. One of the principles that we have in this process is that we want to give people as many choices as possible along the way. We, I feel very strongly that people need to lead their own recovery and make the choices that are best for them. So we've really designed this process in a way that they can, they can choose. And if, for example, they are not ready yet, they start the process and they determine they're not ready yet. Or, or if the process takes more time to get the documentation, then they, then the 150 days we um, we're going to be able to give them extensions for that. I'm able to grant extensions for good cause. And I plan to grant that liberally if it's going to benefit the claimant to do so. So certainly that process could take longer, but it's really going to be up to the claimant to decide how fast they're they're going to move and and when they're ready to do that.
0: You mentioned earlier that November 14th, 2024 is the deadline for claims as as it's put right now. So there is an idea that this office will be around for at least a year. Um, And I think you mentioned expecting to stick around for a while. With that in mind, staff and having a team working on this is really important. How many people do you have maybe hired for this claims office and what's sort of the target?
2: One of the things we want to do is make sure we have a good foundation of our key positions in place, and we're we're almost there. We have about 60 staff that we've hired. Many of those are, again, uh, locally hired staff from New Mexico. And we also have several contracts that are in place for some of our roles, like our claims reviewers, which are really the subject matter experts in terms of claims processing. And our goal is to be able to to surge those staff as needed to be able to address increasing workload that could come in at, at specific times, but then also scale back as needed if uh, we start to see the workload slow down. For farmers and
1: ranchers who've had to completely pivot their business, for example, or scale down livestock because of burned pasture, for instance, do some of these claims from the federal government also account for projected loss for them in the
2: future? That's a really good question, because I know there have been a lot of concerns that with the fact that the claims period closes November of next year and folks know that they're going to have losses that go beyond that. And so the way we're approaching this is we're looking at each type of loss and then determining the best way to value that loss. So if that that loss we know is going to be projected into the future, then we're able to come up with a a loss methodology that will look at those future losses and needs and develop compensation that is fair based on those projections. So absolutely.
0: You know, One of the big things I imagine challenges, we think about New Mexico, right? It's the fifth largest state in terms of land mass. Very large area we're talking about up in northern New Mexico. It can be very rural and reaching people who need this help sometimes can be a big challenge. We can say a lot of it on the news, but we know that not everybody is always watching or or maybe has the best connection to even download a podcast like this and kind of get the the details, if you will, about what's happening. But reaching people who need this help, have you been effective so far, do you think, in doing so? And maybe is there room as well for concern about making sure that you're not reaching the wrong people, the the people who may be fraudulently trying to make that claim, as we saw so much during the pandemic, you know, people claiming needs for assistance and now we found out there's a, there's a whole big problem with with people who made claims who didn't necessarily need them. So I guess a twofold question, are you confident you're reaching the right people and how do you make sure you're not reaching the wrong ones?
2: You know, I see this endeavor as a continuous learning, um, uh, learning endeavor. And I feel like our goal is to constantly learn and improve and adapt as we need to. But I think one of the things that we, I have really valued is in hiring, for example, a a deputy director who is from New Mexico and a claims office advocate who is from New Mexico is that they have been able to really bring in that local voice and advise us on how we need to continue to revise our strategy to be able to meet people where they are and to make sure we're reaching the right people. So for example, we've really leaned into radio um, as a means to be able to reach people And then our Advocates Office, so Paula Gutierrez is our Claims Office Advocate, who she has a wealth of expertise, both as a local emergency manager for the Santa Clara Pueblo, as well as an advocate for Tribal issues, her entire career, and also knows uh, FEMA programs really, really well. So she's got this great blend of of experience, and she has really focused on a community engagement strategy. So she has hired a number of, of people who are serving as community liaisons, who are really uh, going to places where uh, people congregate and spreading the message that way, finding the community events. Or finding events where, for example, seniors will be recognizing that they may need some additional assistance to work through this process. And so we recognize that being present and being in the community and word of mouth is very critical. But at the same time, we're looking for other means such as radio where we can reach broad audiences that um, may not be attending town halls or may not be on social media to be also, also to get the message out. And in terms of your second part of your question, we absolutely want to make sure that this funding is going to the people that need it and not to bad actors um, that are really trying to take advantage of this program and the federal government. We have partnered with the inspector general, they received some funding um, as part of this appropriation, and they've already been here in New Mexico, have been supporting us as we've been developing internal controls and training for our team on fraud. Um, But one of the things that we're finding is this is also a benefit of having navigators who are from the community because they have already been able to identify things that just don't seem right or where clearly people are engaging that don't seem to to have fit uh, the the local community members that they know. And so that's certainly great having them as our eyes and ears in the community um, and directly engaging with our claimants.
1: Last thing that just came to mind while we were, you were talking about that, going out to these events where maybe some older folks will be at who need assistance, who don't aren't necessarily probably logging into the computer often and, and check in for things like this. How does somebody know when someone approaches me saying they're from FEMA and they want to give me this money, how does someone know this is not a scam? Because that can sound scammy, right? Like, hey, you might Absolutely. need help. Give me all your information. I want to give you some money and help you out.
2: No, that that's a great question. You see the logo behind me. Uh, we have uh, not only the FEMA logo, but also the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon logo. And when we go to community events, we make sure to point that out, one, so that any product that they're seeing, because we're seeing a lot of misinformation being spread about the program, is making sure that people, if they're seeing information, they're looking for this logo to know that it actually came from our office. So that's one thing. The other thing is that everyone in our office has a badge and both our contractors, as well as our federal staff. And we encourage everyone who is interacting with our team members to be able to ask for that identification before they start engaging or sharing their information. And that's important. If they have any questions or concerns about any, any engagements that are over the phone or v- via email, we also encourage people just to walk into one of our offices, um, again, at one of our published, three published locations, because there are other offices out there that are advertising that they are fire claims office, offices that are not associated with the, the FEMA claims office, and they can walk in and they can get assistance in person as well.
0: I had one other question, a little bit more on the personal side of things for you. You've obviously done this type of work for at least part of your career that I know. What made you want to be the director of this entity in this moment? And do you feel a sense of of gravity about the work that you and the team are doing?
2: I have been working for FEMA. This is my 25th year. I am from a small town in Virginia in the Blue Ridge Mountains. My in-laws live right up against a national forest and are live the threat of wildfire day to day themselves. I understand the challenges of local communities not having a voice in what the the government is sometimes doing for them maybe not with them and i saw opportunities to be able to ensure that the federal government does the best it can to serve people in in rural communities who have been impacted by these catastrophic events. It's what drew me to FEMA and what has kept me there uh, for the, the 25 years. And I see tremendous opportunity here to be able to design a program from the ground up that takes a lot of the learnings that we've seen across the country and that we've felt in other FEMA programs but struggle sometimes to turn a big ship of, of very large programs to be able to, to really dig in and be able to address needs as you're designing a program. And to me, that was just a tremendous opportunity to be able to, to do that and learn from it. And I feel like not only be able to deliver a program that's meeting the needs for People who need it today, but also to feed that input back into uh, FEMA and the federal government um, to be able to say this is what's working or this is what's not working. I'm, I'm not expecting to always get it right. Um, As we're trying out new things in the design of this program, but my commitment has always been, we're going to continue to get feedback and we're going to learn and we're going to do everything that we can to ensure that we have a fair and transparent process. And so as I have those learnings, I also want to feed them back into the rest of the agency.
1: Is there anything else that you want people to understand about this process or anything that we didn't ask you?
2: I really want people to give this program a chance and if they have needs to get started with your notice of loss and have those initial conversations with navigators and see if we can meet your needs. I feel very strongly that this process and program is the most efficient and effective way for people to get the compensation they deserve from the, the fire and the floods. And we're absolutely committed to making that process fair for people. And if you have any concerns, you have an advocate that you can address your concerns with, Um, who reports directly to me and you have many choices along the way and you don't have to decide that ultimately you're going to go with this program for your compensation until the very end of the process. So you have so many choices and um, we would love to be able to serve you and meet your needs. So please, please give the program an opportunity and a chance to work for you. Angela Gladwell,
1: thanks for joining us. We appreciate your insight about the program. Thank
0: you for your time.
2: Thank you so much for for having us. And uh, we hope that we'll be talking to you again sometime in the future.
1: Thanks again to Angela Gladwell from FEMA for explaining how this all works and how people can apply We will post a link to the claims office in our show notes and in the web article for this episode on krqe.com slash podcasts.
0: Sounds like they're expecting a lot more work and a lot more people to get involved in the process over the next year. But yeah, more than 900 claims already submitted. You can tell there's just a a ton of people affected by the wildfire. We appreciate you listening. I'm at Chris.McKee at krqe.com and also at TV if you want to reach out with a story idea, some feedback, whatever it may be. Feel free to reach out.
1: And I'm at Gabrielle.BurckCard at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thanks for listening.